Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this week's Fireside Chat. I'm Lisa Stearns, and I'm here with the star of the show, Senior Vice President Tim Cross. Um, we do have a lot to talk about today uh, as we look to re-entering our workplaces. Um, and also stick with us to the end because we will be debuting the last of our video series where we're showcasing our UTIA family. I think you'll want to see, uh, see that. So a um, couple housekeeping things. Remember to keep your audio muted so that everyone can hear the conversation. Um, use the chat function if you have a question that you would like um, Dr. Cross to answer. You can use uh, the public uh, chat or you can send it to me privately. Um, also, there will be a recording made of this session today and it will be posted um, on the UTIA coronavirus website. So let's just jump in today's to today's information, and Tim, um, obviously things have uh, loosened up um, in the state and testing has increased. Do you feel that uh, this influenced the university's decision to re-enter the workplace in a phased approach? Thanks, Lisa. Great question, great way to start off here this afternoon. And uh, let me first just say welcome back, everyone. Uh, as, as Lisa mentioned, week seven, who in the world uh, would have thought we'd be doing this for seven weeks, uh, if you think back a month or two ago. But uh, I really uh, appreciate this continued opportunity to meet with everyone, and thank you for, for taking the time this afternoon to join us. So let, let's uh, think about what we've been seeing uh, in the media, uh, on the news, on the web, and so forth. Uh, clearly, there is uh, uh, a bit of momentum, if you will, towards reopening uh, our, our workforce and our economy. Uh, if you've been watching the statistics, though, you've actually seen some, some increases recently uh, in the state of Tennessee with regard to the total number of cases. However, uh, I think we also recognize uh, much of those increases, we believe, are due to some really concentrated testing that's been going on. In particular, I know our prisons and some of our senior centers They've been uh, testing 100% of, of the individuals in some of those facilities, and they've been finding some high concentrations of positive cases. So I think that's certainly uh, a part of the reason why we saw some increases. I'm no epidemiologist, so I don't want to go too deep into all the data and statistics that's out, that's out there. But I will say, as I watch in a general sense what's happening, since about Monday, uh, the number of active cases in Tennessee has remained almost flat at, at 7,000. And, you know, I think that's positive news for us. Uh, it, it at least means we're not seeing spikes and increases in the number of cases. And, and really uh, what, what we're starting to see is that the number of positive cases that's identified uh, daily is being offset by the number of active cases that are in recovery mode or have recovered. Uh, daily. So we're, we appear to be at a more stable uh, level of, of the virus in terms of infection level. And I think that then is, is the basis for saying, well, things aren't getting worse. And so let's uh, begin to slowly but carefully uh, and safely uh, re-enter our workplaces, re-enter society, if you will, uh, whether you're with higher education or whether you're with, you're with any industry. Uh, we're certainly seeing much more uh, movement back towards uh, office places and, and places of work uh, across the state. And I think then the university is no exception to that. The, the important thing to me is that we do, again, very carefully 
slowly and, and safely uh, make those changes. So we've been hearing about um, the university's plan for a phased approach. So can you give us some guidance on implementing phase one, what that will look like, which um, is intended to go through May 29th? Yeah, so phase one, uh, and here's where it gets tougher to describe because we do have different uh, requirements and, and guidance uh, depending on which unit you're with uh, within the Institute. And that's because we, we face different circumstances. I've been saying for two weeks now, uh, it was really easy to, to close things down, if you will, to, uh, to shift into a working remotely mode because we could say to everyone, no matter what unit they were with, go home, uh, do your work from home, uh, let's let's so socially isolate, shelter in place, and that was a universal message that was clear, understandable, very specific. As we think about phasing back, it becomes much more challenging, and I think the messages already, I'm sure there's some confusion, uh, and hopefully today we can start to address some of that. I don't know that we'll resolve every bit of it because uh, it is uh, situation specific in many cases, but I think uh, we, we do have some overall guidance that we can follow. So let me start uh, with, with talking a little bit about our campus plans, and then we'll talk very briefly about, about other plans. And maybe I need to preface all of this by saying the College of Veterinary Medicine really has remained in, a, in an operating mode throughout this entire pandemic. Uh, they've been seeing uh, emergency and critical care patients and are now thinking about scaling up uh, for additional client uh, visits as well. So uh, virtually none of what I have to say has, has a lot to do with uh, College of Veterinary Medicine, except that everyone is following some baseline practices. So, and those are generally the CDC guidance uh, for any uh, agency, uh, business, or firm that's entering into a phased uh, reopening. So on campus beginning Monday, uh, first of all, everyone who can work remotely should continue working remotely. So that's, again, not a change. We've been in that mode uh, seven weeks now and, and will remain uh, in that mode. But for those who cannot work remotely uh, or those who were listed as being uh, really needed back on campus, like facilities, uh, like campus security, uh, College of Veterinary Medicine and some others, uh, they, they should begin to uh, return to work, uh, they should be in touch with their supervisors, uh, and they should make plans to, to carry out their responsibilities. Uh, the way they do it may change. Uh, we're, we're certainly across the board uh, going to require everyone, every employee uh, who returns to the workplace to complete a checklist every day, answering questions about uh, how they feel, uh, if they're uh, experiencing a fever, if they have uh, any uh, headache, sore throat, uh, loss of taste or smell, uh, and if there are yes answers to any of those, we're going to say don't come to work, uh, stay home, uh, contact your uh, medical provider, and, and see if uh, there's some follow-up that's needed. So all of us, regardless of what unit we're in, uh, really are going to be responsible for that. And I know you're saying, well, where's that checklist? Uh, how do I do that? What are the specific questions? We, we're going to provide more guidance on that uh, in the coming weeks. And in, and in fact, uh, uh, plans right now are to roll that out to everyone as a part of a, a short uh, training program and then uh, make sure every individual has that specific information. 
that they've been exposed to. So we'll address uh, phase one, uh, not only on campus, but across the state using that training and using that uh, health checklist. The other thing we will certainly do is, is uh, I'd like to say require face masks. I, I realize it's uh, still a personal decision, but if you're in a place that's a public area that you're you know, bound to come into close contact, less than six feet distance from other individuals, you need to wear a face mask. And uh, that's no different than, than going to the grocery store, in my opinion. Uh, if, if you're gonna be around other people, it's only wise to, uh, to wear, wear a face mask. And it's really, uh, in my opinion, a show of respect for others that you're doing that. So uh, we'll, that will be a, a part of our phase one guidance uh, for all units as well. And then certainly uh, for everyone, uh, and this goes maybe doubly for our off-campus folks, be in touch with your supervisor, know what the expectations are, uh, know if you uh, really need to be present or if you can uh, and should continue to work remotely. Uh, and that uh, again, maybe a uh, different situation depending on which county you're in or which uh, area you're in. So let me remind you that there are specific phase one guidelines. So those are all available on the UTIA COVID-19 website. If you go uh, to that website and then uh, look under guidance, uh, you'll find uh, first of all, our guidelines that are still in place as well as then uh, specifics uh, for phase one reentry that apply to campus or apply to ag research, uh, research education centers uh, off campus, or that apply to our off-campus uh, UT extension facilities. So let's uh, again, remind ourselves we wanna stay healthy. We wanna assess our health daily, and we wanna be sure uh, that uh, if we're coming to work, uh, we should be coming to work. And if we can work remotely, let's continue to do that uh, if at all possible. So. I've covered a lot of ground there. There may be some follow-up questions, but hopefully that gives an overview uh, of our phase one guidance. So any guidance as we prepare for phase two? Yeah. All right, my guidance for preparing for phase two is do phase one really well, <laughs> and then we'll get to phase two. We're, again, we're part of the whole society uh, that, that uh, is really dealing with this and the extent to which we keep ourselves healthy, the extent to which we follow CDC guidance has an impact on, on those that we come into contact with, obviously, uh, others in the community. So the extent to which we do our part to keep the number of cases uh, low and hopefully declining will enable us to reach phase two. So rather than go into a lot of details about what does phase two look like and, and what changes are required there, I'd really like to just focus on phase one right now. Let's make sure we do it well and uh, uh, keep everyone healthy. And, and that will, I think, position us then to move into phase two. On campus, phase two will not happen prior to the end of May, May 29th, or if you wanna think about it, you know, we, we wouldn't begin to enter phase two until any earlier than June 1. On our off-campus offices, uh, we're really gonna be uh, triggering that off of local guidance uh, from county mayors, county government, uh, who will obviously be looking at their own local uh, data and their own uh, number of active cases, number of recoveries and so forth. So uh, let's not get in a big hurry for phase two, let's get phase one done 
and let's get that uh, done well. And then with any luck, we'll be in a great position to enter phase two. And it's probably important to note that phase two isn't necessarily going to be the same for every unit. Could look uh, Again, that could differ unit by unit. So uh, there's, again, and, and there is some, some guidance already provided on phase two, but I suspect uh, we'll refine that. Uh, we'll learn from phase one, and then we may want to make some revisions there, which is another good reason not to get too wrapped up in what phase two looks like today, uh, because we will learn as things go. Think back just three weeks ago, we weren't even talking about uh, re-entry to the workplace. So uh, this is a dynamic situation that changes rather rapidly, it seems. And, and we want to do our very best to, most importantly, go back to our top priority, which is ensuring the safety uh, and health of our employees, our students, and our stakeholders. So keep in mind, everything we're talking about, it, it really ties back to that goal uh, as, as well as the other three goals that we had. So we're in a time where a little good news is more than welcome. And I understand that uh, you do have some good news at least to share in some areas. So, You know, it seems like uh, we're spending our lives either asking what the rules are or explaining what the rules are. And, you know, that's it wears on you, right? It does on me and I suspect on you as well. So let, let's think about maybe something that doesn't relate to rules or, or guidelines. So what are some positive things going on? And I made a little list myself. I, I hope uh, each of you think about some of uh, the positive things that, that you're experiencing as well every day. It's easy to get caught up in the negative in in worries about the, the uh, coronavirus and, and how that's impacting our lives. But uh, let's let's also recognize there's some some positive things happening. Number one on my list, uh, we have no active cases, no positive cases in the Institute of Agriculture. I think that's phenomenal. That's outstanding, and that really indicates to me we have been following our own advice. We've been following our guidelines. So number one on my list, no positive cases. Number two, we continue to get great examples of uh, innovative and successful programs. Uh, being offered or conducted by distance uh, using, you know, really creative approaches. I think about things like uh, we've got a virtual 4-H exchange going on uh, from Murray County uh, with some 4-Hers out in Colorado. Uh, this, that probably would not have happened without coronavirus. So congratulations to those groups for linking up and getting that experience. Uh, there's there's uh, many, many cases I could, could cite as examples. The, the real point there is we're being creative, we're, we're being innovative, we're doing those things we need to do anyway, even uh, in light of this uh, pandemic. Uh, you know, the UT system and, and all the campuses have announced uh, this week plans for students to return to campus uh, this fall, obviously if conditions permit. And that continues to guide much of what we do, but you know, I think that's a positive note as well. We're planning for that. We're not hoping for it. We're not, uh, you know, just uh, gonna see if luck holds out and we can get there. We're actually taking proactive steps to get to that point that students can come back. And I know our school systems, I believe, are, are in that same mode, really planning for how can we bring our students back. So I think that's a positive. At least we've turned a corner there to some extent. Uh, here's a good one. Uh, you may have seen uh, a message just recently May is going to be a health insurance benefit holiday. So 
during the month of May, uh, the insurance premiums will not be deducted from your paycheck. So there's a, a financial positive for you. Uh, you'll have just a little bit of uh, an increase in pay. So uh, good news for that. Uh, and uh, maybe that means uh, an extra dip of ice cream or an extra cup of coffee or, or maybe uh, Maybe it means you can buy a really special mask uh, with, with that uh, added uh, payroll uh, amount. Uh, let me just remind folks of a positive that maybe uh, in these times it, it kind of goes, uh, goes unnoticed or, or maybe unrecognized. We've got something called annual leave. And what that means is you can take some time off. Uh, and so don't forget, uh, even though we're in this weird mode of working remotely and it seems like if you're like me, when you're at home, you're working. And so if you're always at home, you're always working. Uh, take some time off if you feel like you need to. Work with your supervisor again. You need to make sure your, your boss is uh, informed and supportive. But don't forget that uh, annual leave is still a thing uh, and you've got that benefit out there uh, to take advantage of. And then uh, finally, let me just uh, mention that we've done surveys of, of faculty and staff uh, just as asking, how are you doing? And uh, our staff uh, responses, uh, which came in most recently, were, were incredibly positive uh, and, and very, I think, uh, indicative of, of our workforce. Uh, we asked, you know, how are you doing? And about two thirds said, I'm doing great. I'm doing fine, you know, no troubles. About uh, a third said, well, I'm okay, I'm managing. And about 2% said, gosh, I, I need some help. And I think that's a great thing uh, that, that most of folks out there feel like they're doing okay. And for that 2%, I know we're in the process of reaching out to say, how can we help? Are there some things you need? Are there some uh, programs that we need to try to uh, shore up for you or provide? So uh, that, that's a very positive sign and assessment on the part of our workforce. And I think we had very similar results for faculty and staff on campus as well. So uh, across the state, uh, indications are uh, you all are doing a good job. You're hanging in there. Uh, there's, there's some that need some help. And if you need something, this is a good, good opportunity to remind you, please reach out and let us know. If we're not aware, we're not going to be very helpful or supportive to you. So uh, please be in touch uh, if there are some things that you need. So let me just stop. There's my list of positives, Lisa. I hope that triggers some thoughts for each of you as to what are some positive things that have been going on. Well, it's definitely triggered some questions. We have quite a few, so <laughs> we're going to jump right in. Um, and in that survey, I think it was work uh, family responsibilities that some people had concerns about. And so one of our questions is related to that. Um, this is a supervisor asking, uh, saying, I'm getting a lot of concerns from staff about childcare. Uh, lots of childcare places have officially closed for the summer. What is your recommendation on addressing this issue during the phase in approach um, and you know, in a way that's fair for everyone? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I think uh, I, I uh, reflect back that when we started into this, we said, you know what, we need to be creative, but we also need to be flexible and we need to be compassionate. And we recognize that you know, schools are out, daycares, child care centers are closed, and that is not going to change uh, for, for the next uh, probably several weeks or maybe several months. And so I think we need to be flexible on that. If uh, employees are in a situation where they really are, are unable to return to work, 
let's work with those employees to determine what can be done from home, help them uh, to be able to continue to, to do their responsibilities or, or some other uh, related tasks if we need to, uh, to enable them to provide their childcare when none other is available and, and get through the pandemic. So I think, again, that's a case by case basis. I can't make an assignment to each person but I, I would encourage our supervisors to be flexible, uh, to work with uh, those who are in circumstances that it would be really difficult, if not impossible, for them to return on a regular basis to the office. Uh, and if we get to a point where we are largely back to work, even then I think we could consider, having had this experience, are there opportunities for individuals maybe to uh, have a flexible work schedule or to work partially at home and partially in the office or at the workplace. Uh, you know, we don't have to go back to a, a one size fits all necessarily. Let's look at the responsibilities and just see what opportunities there are there. So uh, that, that'd be my best answer today. And again, that, that's gotta be worked through with, with uh, an individual supervisor. If you need some input or help from our human resources folks, don't hesitate to uh, reach out to them as well. Okay, um, a UT Extension County office is asking if there's any guidance on all staff getting tested, um, even if staff are asymptomatic. At this point, uh, we, we don't have the capacity or any plans to test everyone in any unit, whether it's Extension or, or any other part of the Institute. Uh, we've, we've talked uh, and our task force uh, has actually had conversations with UT Health Science Center. Uh, and honestly, there, there might be some helpful information if we did that, but think about it, that information would only be valid for a day or two because immediately upon testing, a person leaves and, and uh, comes into contact with others and, and all you've got is a snapshot of information. So it, it may be helpful in the short term, but uh, really what, what would be more helpful in my opinion would be a test that would prove uh, whether there was uh, resistance, uh, uh, I'm sorry, whether there was some protection uh, as in had already had the uh, coronavirus and now uh, were immune, if you will. But those uh, antibody tests are still in the development stage. They're not 100% uh, reliable and there, we're not in a position where we could offer an antibody test to every person in the organization either. So I know there's a lot of conversation about testing right now, and uh, there's a task force on campus looking exclusively at testing, and we're going to continue to explore that. And if there is an opportunity to uh, provide a test that would be really valuable and helpful uh, to all, we'll certainly do that. And, and let me assure that you know, while those tests are expensive, if that were possible, money is not going to be the thing that holds us up from doing that. Right now, it's really the technology and the accuracy and reliability is, is what the concerns are. So uh, now, having said all that, if there's a, a free testing opportunity in your community and you want to take advantage, by all means, I, I, I sure don't want to in any way discourage someone from being tested. But as an organization, we really just don't have the capacity nor the uh, structure to carry that out, and that's true on campus uh, for other uh, colleges as well. So we're we're meantime tracking what what's possible, and we'll 
continue to explore alternatives as new technologies and new tests are developed. So this is a question coming from an extension agent. However, it could apply, I think, to others um, as well. And that is um, just seeking some guidance on expectations for staff who are indeed working at home. What is that supposed to look like? So for any of us working from home, I think uh, those expectations have to be uh, agreed upon, again, with your supervisor. And if, if uh, that doesn't seem to, to resolve the questions, then, then maybe the next person uh, in the supervisory chain could be of help. So I, I would think uh, it, it really depends on your role, what those expectations are. I, I don't think, you know, the past seven weeks, we have expected that each person is fully focused on only work from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. I think uh, we recognize you know, we've been home and, and managing children or having other family responsibilities that we have to do simultaneously. Uh, I certainly recognize that you've got children in the house. Uh, you know, you, you're not going to be fully focused for, for eight straight hours, and then you're going to clock out and, and do something else. So mm -hmm. certainly our expectations are that, you know, that the way we carry out our duties may be uh, slightly different uh, than in the past, but uh, I think whatever you're responsible for, whether it's education or administrative support or uh, research support, uh, you know, in a general sense, you're still responsible for that. It's impossible to carry it out from home, then maybe you're one of those that, that need to consider uh, at what point uh, it would be helpful to return to the workplace. But uh, beyond that, I really think the, the most important thing is to check with your supervisor uh, in, in either Clarify that what you're doing is what's expected or, or clarify what, what uh, isn't getting done that needs to be done and, and work out an arrangement to be sure those responsibilities uh, are covered. Um, and then someone else is asking about uh, travel outside of the state um, as we move into phase one. If, if a person does indeed travel outside of the state, do they have to do the 14-day uh, self-quarantine and uh, can they telecommute as opposed to taking that as leave? I would assume yes. So there's probably uh, six or seven questions in there. First <laughs> of all, we, we still have travel restrictions through July 31st. Uh, we said when we set that date that we would reassess. I don't see changing that date right now. So uh, as of today, that those travel restrictions are still in place and that's for out-of-state travel as well as international travel. Uh, there is a travel exceptions uh, request process, so you can uh, contact uh, uh, Dean's office uh, and request an exception, and that will route through to me eventually, and, and we'll consider that. It needs to be, you know, I think in, in our UTI guidelines, it says it really needs to be something very, very critical and very important for it to warrant an exception, so we're, we're trying to maintain our, our current batting average of zero positive cases and the extent to which we stay uh, in our local communities, I think that has helped. Uh, at least it, it hasn't hurt, right? So we want to continue that. If it's a really critical uh, travel event that uh, without it, uh, there's going to be harm to students or harm to uh, research projects uh, that's irreparable, 
uh, or maybe harm to some uh, extension program or veterinary uh, uh, practice that, that really can't be prevented. Uh, we can grant an exception. And in that case, then I would uh, expect a 14-day self-quarantine uh, uh, to take place because invariably, um, unless it's automobile travel, if it's air travel, then, then you're going to be in contact with people from potentially uh, anywhere in the world. So uh, we would want to have <clears throat> that self-quarantine period covered. And, and then the question is, I think, well, could that be, you know, remote working during that period? And, and yes, that would be absolutely fine. Uh, no, no trouble there. So here are maybe some easy ones. <laughs> we'll knock these out quickly here. Um, That's all right. These are great questions. I, I hope my ramblings here are, are helping. Uh, and, you know, uh, we continue to build the plane as we fly it, I'm afraid. So, <laughs> you know. Well, we're, we're getting quite a few, so we're going to try to get through these here. Um, so these are all facility-related questions. One is, will mail and delivery start being delivered to offices starting Monday because we're in phase one? No. Okay. <laughs> Finally got a short answer. <laughs> and will the buildings uh, still be locked? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Another short answer. There so you go. One is not a lot different than what we've done for the past seven weeks. Exactly. It really is a continuance, as you said. Uh, this one's uh, facilities related, but um, a little more interesting. And that is uh, the ability of extending Wi-Fi into the greenhouses and parking lots, particularly for students as they start to come back in the fall and maybe are in those areas more than in a classroom. <laughs> so the question is, can we, I guess? <laughs> yes. Uh, I know we've got Wi-Fi down in the gardens, so that might be something for us to look at. I've actually just read an article in Chronicle of Higher Ed, I believe, about uh, adding Wi-Fi to parking garages and, and parking lots, and maybe that's uh, something we should look at as well. So uh, I'd certainly be open to uh, checking on that, and if it's something that, that could be done and, and would provide benefits to our students and potentially faculty and staff, uh, certainly in favor of that. Um, so has there been this... <laughs> Just making myself a note. There you go. So has there uh, been any discussion, we've had a couple questions on this, any discussion about being able to start scheduling events past the July 31st date? Um, it would be helpful, as some said, to know whether or not they can begin rescheduling events. Boy, I agree. And uh, I'm in that same boat actually uh, really struggling with do we do we think that events will happen in August or not um, if those that are out there and have a great crystal ball and know what the uh, number of cases will be in August please let me know because my crystal ball isn't isn't real clear on this I think uh, large events with hundreds of people I, I would be quite surprised if we're doing those kinds of things in August, but it's possible. So I really hesitate to say absolutely yes or absolutely no. Uh, clearly, you know, uh, things like football, uh, is that going to happen? And I'm not just talking about UT football, even at the high school level. I know that, that there's 
many, many people think about athletic events and what will happen this fall. I just don't think we're there yet. And so I, uh, when it comes to other kinds of events, I suspect smaller events, uh, maybe uh, more than 10, but less than 50, I think is, is more, more likely uh, in August and, and beyond. I think as you go beyond 50, it's, it's getting to be less and less uh, uh, likely that that would be possible. But I may be wrong. Uh, you know, again, August is still more than seven weeks away. And seven weeks ago, we were, we were still doing big events. So things can change in a hurry. And let's hope they do. So if it's under 50, could people start reserving rooms or should they? Or? Uh, you know, you can reserve it now, even if it's a thousand, but whether you can do it or not is the question. So it wouldn't hurt to make some tentative plans, but I would have a plan B in mind as well. I, I don't know if I shared this with, with an earlier chat, but I serve uh, with a planning group for the Southern Association of Agricultural Scientists. And we're, we're really struggling with whether we plan the, the annual conference that happens in February. Uh, that's, that's a conference of about 1500 people faculty and students. And at this point, we're, we're totally unclear about whether a February conference that brings people from across the country is possible or not. Mm -hmm. So uh, I understand the, the frustration, the dilemma, the uncertainty. Uh, but I, I, at this point, I would always have a plan B, even if you think uh, you might want to go ahead and, and make some tentative plans for uh, events starting in August. So here's, uh, there are actually two questions related to budget, and I'm sort of putting these two together for you. One is, um, with reduced revenues in the state, um, are there plans to enact a staff reduction and cut positions across the state, especially with extension? Um, and then somebody is also asking, do you think there'll be budget reductions for fiscal year 2021? So I've, uh, the, the deans and I, Mr. Favre, have been talking about budget for seven weeks now, uh, because clearly, you know, when the economy uh, takes such a rapid downturn, there's, there's going to be impacts on revenues. And uh, my latest sort of data point on that this morning was uh, Governor Lee in a conference call with ag industry uh, leaders uh, indicated that he's expecting we'll see about a half million dollar shortfall in revenues for the current fiscal year. And he's projecting about a billion dollars uh, shortfall for next fiscal year. So, you know, that seems like a realistic uh, estimate to me and, and uh, uh, you know, certainly significant as well because we've been in positive budget revenues uh, for the past uh, uh, seven years or so. The question is, what does that do to to state funding uh, for higher education. Uh, if you look at a, a $500 million shortfall on a $34 billion budget, we're not talking about anywhere near 10%, it's much, much less than that. Even a billion dollars out of uh, 34 billion total uh, is not, not a huge percent. On the other hand, a billion dollars is real money and, and it's gotta come from somewhere. So. I think uh, state budget reductions uh, for all agencies are likely. How much uh, will be asked to bear uh, is unknown at this point. So I, I wouldn't say we're making plans for staff reductions, but we are expecting we need to be conservative. Uh, we need to be careful with our money. Uh, we need to uh, consider 
uh, how we go into this next fiscal year and, and what we do in terms of filling positions uh, and how we handle uh, existing operating funds. Are there things, some, uh, some expenditures that we can delay, postpone, or, or eliminate altogether uh, to maintain good positive balances? I think we need to do that and we are. So uh, we're, we're certainly not though in a mode, you may see uh, several states have announced furloughs uh, at their universities. We're, we're not in that mode and I don't expect us uh, to reach that level of, of difficulty anytime soon. But again, I can't guarantee what the future holds because we don't know just yet. So we do have a couple of questions from faculty and one asks about an email that went out regarding um, extension of the probationary period with a deadline in June. Um, but the associated form has a deadline of December. So why are the junior faculty having to decide so soon? Well, I know I sent a note to department heads this week and I did say, hey, you know, I'd like to have uh, a list of the probationary faculty who would like an, uh, an extension, partly because I was getting a lot of questions about it. And I think some faculty wanted to know, are we gonna get the extension or not? So my thinking was, let's go ahead and collect that information now. We'll uh, uh, confirm with letters back to those faculty that their probationary period has been extended. And then that's one less worry for them. They can take that off the table. But uh, the ability to provide this extension uh, is embedded in the new Board of Trustees policy on tenure. And that's gonna be there forever or, or until it's changed <laughs> sometime in the distant future. So there's really no deadline uh, associated with that request. Uh, so the, my goal of getting it uh, soon was simply to, to put to rest any concerns faculty might have. And, and I thought collecting it all at once made it a whole lot easier than having each individual faculty member have to submit a request and then us respond individually. So it really wasn't to pressure anyone. And in fact, uh, if a faculty member doesn't feel like they know at this point and want to wait, that's absolutely fine. But uh, just providing that opportunity for those who are concerned uh, that we can consider their request and approve it now. And that's one last thing uh, to worry about. I'm not sure at all about the December 31 deadline. I'm, I'm not familiar with that and haven't seen it on, on a form. But uh, in the meantime, I, I would certainly assure any probationary faculty, if you want to have an extension, uh, talk with your department head and let's get that documented and, and approved and, and we can move on. And if you want to wait on that, no problem. We're, we're not, uh, I don't know that we're prevented from considering that uh, at any point in the future. And as a follow-up, which you may have actually just answered, but if the faculty take the option for adding a year as an insurance policy, then later feel they don't need it, can they go back to the original probationary period deadline? Well, that, so I, I've been saying it's not an insurance policy. Uh, if, if there was an impact on programs, on research, teaching, extension, clinical uh, work, whatever, that should be the basis for the, the request for the extension. And I guess the question is, well, then if we recover from that faster than we thought, can we be considered you know, on the original timeline? And the answer is yes. Uh, they're, they're, uh, the requirement is a six-year probationary period and we would still you know, experience that six-year probationary period. The only thing I would add to that is 
before that's just assumed, it would be helpful if, if that's uh, going to be a consideration by the faculty member. Uh, and I think the faculty handbook says the faculty member discusses uh, the, the time for promotion with their department head that uh, we make sure uh, the deans and the chief academic officer also weigh in on that. So that would be me. Uh, so that we're no one's surprised that we're reverting back to the original date uh, in terms of that uh, review. I would not consider someone who got the extension and then concluded that their dossier was warranted consideration on their original timeline. I wouldn't consider that early. Uh, what I would consider is that they're requesting not to utilize that one year ex extension that they were entitled to. Uh, so it would not trigger an early uh, review of tenure, but rather just a normal review. So uh, I think maybe that covered both parts of that question, hopefully adequately. Again, if there's specifics, happy to, to visit with uh, faculty or department heads about that. Uh, and deans can certainly uh, uh, address questions about that as well. Um, someone uh, is asking, they said you had mentioned prisons um, and the spike in cases in those prisons. And um, in this particular county, there are two privately owned locations in the county and they've had an outbreak uh, causing the numbers in that county to go up. Does this play a role in the phase in approach for those counties or how do you suggest they handle that? It does uh, because our, our uh, guidance for off-campus offices is that it, it pay attention to what the local uh, data shows uh, for that for the counties that those facilities are located in. And you might say, well, we don't do any work at the prison, so that wouldn't impact us. But think about the fact that all of the employees in, in any facility like that are also, you know, going to be members of that community. Uh, there's, there's obviously opportunities for transmission uh, of a, you know, population from, from uh, any one facility throughout the community. So I think it, it could possibly have an impact, but I think, again, county government, county mayors, uh, other county officials are going to want to factor that into their thoughts about uh, moving to from phase one to phase two as well. So I don't think it's entirely on us to make those calls. We need to do it in concert uh, with, uh, with our local leaders. But uh, I do think that data is, is going to have an impact. It's bound to. So we're, point, we're going to take just a, a couple of more questions. Be mindful of everyone's time. Um, but this one is uh, following up on this whole idea of events. And um, some have contracts in place past August for, say, a wedding or some sort of an event. Should those contracts be honored? Or what do we do with those? So if it's our facility hosting a, an event, like mm -hmm. a wedding, um, Again, I think uh, it's possible that we'll be able to do those events, but it, it's hard to know for certain. And I think maybe a conversation with the individuals who have those contracts is, is the starting place on that because they may not want to uh, have their wedding at our facility if, if you know, their wedding guests aren't going to be able to travel, for example. Uh, so I, I think um, that's number one. We've said number two, that uh, we wouldn't, you know, impose penalties to the extent we could. We'd be very flexible with individuals in, uh, that chose to cancel uh, those contracts or, or uh, change those contracts, postpone them, uh, would be our preference probably. So I think at this point, it may be premature to cancel uh, things that are on the books for 
August, September, October, but I think it might be helpful to have a conversation with those individual parties to see if their plans have changed in any way and just to stay in touch with them uh, so that uh, we, we know what their expectations are and they know that, that we're watching this carefully. Uh, we don't, I don't think want to hold events that bring virus uh, contamination possibilities to our facilities if those facilities are places where we work uh, and have frequent uh, involvement. So I think we want to be careful what, what exposure we're placing uh, on our employees. And then we also want to you know, create the safest possible environment for anyone wanting to do events with us. So those would be the considerations I would think about. So is that a hard and fast, you know, yes, you can do those events or no, you can't. I'm afraid it's not, but I, I'm afraid I can't provide that hard and fast guidance at this day. And there was one follow-up on the county information you gave. Should that include recovered cases as well or uh, just be looking at active cases? It is uh, uh, really laid out very nicely, I think, in the UT Extension uh, Phase 1 or uh, Phased Reentry Guidelines. Um, honestly, from memory, I don't recall exactly which data points they suggested, but I think what's in there are just some examples of data that could be looked at but we really need to take our cue and our lead from, from local government leaders. So even if we see something that see, seems to say, yes, we should go to phase two or no, we shouldn't, we, we got to do that uh, in concert with our local uh, leaders or else I don't think we'll, we'll be good partners and nor will we have as, as strong a basis for whichever action uh, is being taken. Okay, and one last question, and this is um, again a, more of a facilities one and those using um, labs, but uh, when can state service engineers come back to the labs to service instruments? So that would be a visitor to campus, I guess. Uh, and uh, at this point, uh, I think visitors are not allowed back, which is hence why, why buildings remain locked. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that I've had that question before and I haven't heard any discussion about that. I'm wondering if, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to use a lifeline here. <laughs> <laughs> Dave White, are you uh, with us on the chat today? And is that something uh, you might be able to address for us? I'm looking to see if... Uh, can, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. I sure can, Dave. Go right ahead. Thank you. Thanks. Sorry, I was multitasking. Can you repeat the question? Yeah, I think the question, well, Lisa, you've got it in front of you. I'll let you read it. Yes, yeah, so the question is, if and uh, when can we have state service engineers come back to into our labs to service instruments? <clears throat> wow, uh, that's a great question. So right now, currently, we've rolled out uh, these health safety action plans to be filled out by principal investigators. And uh, it, it's in a new form called a VOCI, I think, or VOCI. And I know many of our faculty are, are going through this today and I appreciate the extra effort to do this as well as the department heads for approving. After it does get approval, it will uh, produce a PDF that will be posted in the laboratory that, that will list all the health safety guidelines to be practiced in the lab by personnel. That will also include visitors. So my guess would be it, um, it could happen uh, as long as they have the health safety guidelines in place and they educate uh, technicians coming in that they have to follow these guidelines, 
social distancing, masks, increased disinfection, I, it's, I would say that could probably start up, uh, you know, in phase one. That's Great. my thoughts right now. Great. Thank you, Dave. Okay, one last question. <laughs> and this one uh, goes back to the childcare issue. And that is, if somebody has FSA and they are not getting that childcare, uh, you know, that they had signed up for, is that, how, is that going to be extended? Are they going to be able to use that? This really sounds like an HR question. <laughs> um, and maybe something that group, policy group, is, is considering. Yeah, I'm not recognizing FSA uh, as an acronym, so I'm not sure I can It's comment. the flex, flexible spending accounts that people sign up for. Ah, okay, okay, good. Well, I still don't have a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. I was going to use that as my excuse, Lisa, so I asked that question one more time. <laughs> There's always another lifeline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Uh, so it was uh, a question if, if FSA, you know, if the funds have run out, I think, uh, and... Uh, well, I'll tell you what, you've gotten a lifeline. Mike Stanley has jumped okay. in to tell us that uh, he was able to pause and you can even cancel if you need to uh, by reaching out to the benefits office. So that is a way to take care of that. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's an area I hadn't been asked before. Mike Stanley, thank you for that help. If I don't think Doug Bonner was going to be able to join us today, uh, but I, I also think, as as you mentioned, that really is an HR question. And so between uh, Mike Stanley and our HR folks, uh, I think that'd be the best contacts to get a, a really good, firm answer on that. Right. Well, I know we've had just a ton of questions and. Uh, Appreciate you answering all those. And do you have some final thoughts for us, Tim? <laughs> well, one <laughs> final thought is uh, I've probably created more questions than I answered. So uh, for that, I, I appreciate your patience. Uh, and I noticed actually Whitney's just put a note in about who to call about that benefits question. So uh, very good. Thank you, Whitney. Uh, you know, I think uh, looking forward, uh, I've thanked you a hundred times for what you're doing. And I certainly continue to, to want to express my appreciation to you. I'd also say as we start sort of phasing back up again slowly and carefully, uh, be careful. Uh, let's, let's keep our number of cases at zero. So when you're out, use caution, uh, avoid crowds, wear a mask, uh, wash your hands, take your temperature periodically. Uh, let's, let's continue to, uh, to really keep ourselves healthy. Uh, and, and maintain our, our zero uh, number of cases. I'd also say, uh, let us know if we can support you, if we're you know, able to uh, help in, in your situation some way, please, please let us know that. We do appreciate all that you're doing and we appreciate that you've got uh, challenges uh, both at home and, and with your uh, work responsibilities. So reach out to us, stay in touch with your supervisor. Uh, and I. I really appreciate our, our supervisors, our directors, county directors, department heads, and so forth uh, for the work they're doing. Uh, and I know uh, it's frustrating when you feel like I'm not sure what to do. And, and then you ask uh, the senior vice president, and he says, I'm not sure what to do. But we're in you know, times we've never experienced before. So uh, be, be patient and be tolerant. Uh, we'll make up uh, the best answers as we go. 
and we'll find solutions and we'll learn from this. And we've already seen great examples of things that I'm sure we'll use in the future that have come out from this uh, coronavirus uh, experience. I want to say a special thanks to our uh, UT Extension offices. Uh, many of them are getting involved in distributing face masks to the public. Uh, that's a great, uh, very visible example of how we're supporting and helping our communities. Uh, but it's also something that I know many other parts of our institute uh, are doing on a daily basis. So uh, thanks to all of you uh, for, for uh, helping our communities, helping the people that we live and work with uh, to stay safe uh, and, uh, and really uh, get through this coronavirus uh, situation. So I, I think I'm going to stop right there uh, and ask Lisa, what, what final comments or remarks uh, would you have for us today? Well, first, um, I I'd just like to say that um, I know you spent a lot of time thanking all of us for what we're doing, but I, I do want to extend a thank you to you for taking the time each week to really answer some of these important questions and things that are lingering in people's minds. I think it, it really helps us all to, to stay grounded during what's uh, an unprecedented time. Um, and we've also been extremely uh, pleased to see all of the input. I know you've seen it too, Dr. Cross, of um, all the just really innovative things that are going on within this institute. It's amazing what we produce. It's not gone, gone unnoticed uh, by others in Knoxville and at, even at the UT system office. And so we've been excited as an office to be able to produce these um, videos that you've been seeing. And today is the last of the trilogy of the videos uh, that will be airing this week. So we're excited to share that with you. So Mike, if you will cue things up, we'll show the last one. We need audio. We need audio, Mike. Take two. <laughs> At this time, we must be apart. We are still connected. While we accept the challenge of COVID-19, we can still be patient, responsible, and show words of comfort. While we stay safe and healthy, we can still be there for each other. And while we deal with this hardship, we are still working for you. At the UT Institute of Agriculture, we're bringing you real life solutions, even as we work from home. UT Ag Research still searches for technology and innovation to help grow our food supply. The Herbert College of Agriculture continues to develop the next generation of talented scientists, educators, and leaders. UT Extension still builds a stronger state with help for farmers, families, and youth. The UT College of Veterinary Medicine is still treating our animal friends, providing them with good health and a better life. Right, Cosmo? So for now, take care of yourself and your loved ones. If you're struggling, we understand. We'll be back. You can count on it. During this time, we hope you find strength and peace. Because if there's one thing we know for sure, is that we're still here for you.
Thanks, everyone. Have a wonderful weekend.